0: Hey good morning brothers and sisters. It's great to see you today And uh, if you have a bible with you, would you please go ahead and open up to the book of daniel chapter 4 Daniel chapter 4 with your bible open and a note page and a pen to write with take a few notes You'll be good in good shape for this morning Have you learned a few lessons the hard way? Of course you have I've I've learned two or three Thousand, million, I don't know, lost track, but i uh, learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Here's some things I've learned the hard way. I've, I learned the hard way that fabric softener and laundry detergent are not the same thing. Just because it smells good doesn't mean it cleans well. Um, I learned the hard way that you cannot use liquid dishwashing soap in the dishwasher. Right, a lot of people learned that lesson. Uh, I learned the hard way that your ATM receipt is not an accurate reflection of your checking account balance. That story normally starts once in college. That's how that goes. Uh, I also learned a few years ago, the hard way, that a quiet toddler in a separate room means something is being destroyed forever. A hundred percent of the time, that is true. Every single time. Aren't you grateful for the lessons you've learned the hard way? Uh, When you think about your life and And probably more serious lessons, uh, there's a little bit of affection I think we have for the journey we've been on, the things we've learned in hard ways. And we might even say, you know what, if it hadn't been for the hard way, I wouldn't have learned this lesson at all. There's just some things that we don't learn apart from going through uh, some really difficult times. And, you know, sometimes I tell my daughters stories of lessons I've learned the hard way, not to brag about what I've been through, but my hope really is that they'll learn from my mistakes and they'll take the easier way. They'll never have to clean up dishwashing soap suds from the kitchen floor (laughs) because they were too lazy to go buy better dishwashing soap for the machine. Um, That little lesson and a thousand others, I, I hope they learn from my example and from the mistakes I've made. Well, Daniel chapter 4 is a story of how King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, learned a lesson about God, and he learned it in a very hard way. And in reading chapter 4, my hope is that you and I are going to learn from Nebuchadnezzar's mistake And that we'll choose the blessed way instead of the hard way. Now, it could be you've come in here this morning and you are in the hard way already. Well, there's good news for you in Daniel chapter 4. There's a way out of that. God has a direction for you to come home. Daniel chapter 4 is an incredible story of this king's journey to know the heart of God and for his own heart to be captured by God. This is a story for those who are doubting God. This is a story for those who are skeptical of God. This is a story for those who are running from God. This is a story for those who have made up their minds about the utter uselessness of God. These are, this is the story for those who have every success in the world's eyes, but spiritually they're bankrupt through and through. Daniel chapter 4 is an incredible story from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to follow along with me as I read. It's a long passage, uh, but it's good for us to take it all down in one sitting. Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, that's the speaker, To those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are His miracles, and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream, and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them the to dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and a spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him to dream. Belteshazzar, head of the magicians because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you Explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation In the visions of my mind as I was lying in bed. I saw this There was a tree in the middle of the earth and it was very tall The tree grew large and strong its top reached to the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it, the birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have a spirit of the holy gods. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Beltesh- Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you, and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all, under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty. For you have become great and strong, your greatness has grown and even reaches to the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High who has, that has been issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people. To live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and He gives them to anyone He wants. As for the command to leave the tree's stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. "'Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right "'and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. "'Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity.'" All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, "'Is this not Babylon the great "'that I have built to be a royal residence "'by my vast power and for my majestic glory?' While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and He gives them to anyone He wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does what He wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block His hand or say to Him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true, and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. How about that? Incredible story. What do we just read? Let's shrink it down into a real tight synopsis. Uh, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's another disturbing dream. If you've been with us in this study, you remember chapter 2. Back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar there had another dream that was terrifying to him. In, in chapter 2, you remember the test he put his magic men through? He said, uh, tell me the interpretation of my dream, but I'm not going to tell you the contents of the dream. If you're so smart you should know the dream without me telling you, and then you should know what it means. Uh, well, chapter four, the scene's a bit different. Uh, he still calls for all of his magic men to come in, but this time he gives them the contents of the dream. And he tells them there's this, he saw this giant tree filled the whole earth. Uh, the tree was a benefit to all the animals that took shelter in it. It provided shelter, food, uh, protection. It was huge. It was, it was a tree of life. And then in the dream, a watcher, Isn't that a great word? It's the only place in the whole Bible the word is used in this way. Here in Daniel chapter 4. A watcher, a holy one, comes down, issues a decree against the tree. It's going to be cut down. All the animals are going to be scattered. And then in verse 15, what we learn as we read through Nebuchadnezzar's telling of the dream is that that tree actually represents a human man. That tree is a man. He will be cast out. For seven periods of time, he's going to live like an animal, eat like a cow. How long is seven periods of time? I don't know. But it's the perfect amount of time for Nebuchadnezzar to learn the lesson God is trying to teach him. So he's going to be cast out for a period of time until he learns this lesson. Look at verse 17 with me. Vital verse in this chapter. Verse 17 middle of it, this is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. That's the lesson of the dream. He calls in his magic men. This time he tells them the dream, but they have no clue. And we're not surprised by this. Throughout the book of Daniel, these magic men fail over and over again. Again. And so then he calls in Daniel, and he tells Daniel the dream, and isn't Daniel's response fascinating? Starting in verse 19, Daniel responds with horror at the dream because he knows what it means for Nebuchadnezzar. He knows Nebuchadnezzar is the tree who's going to be cut down and made to live a beastly life for a period of time, and Daniel's troubled by it. Here we see a picture of what loving your enemies is like. Daniel has compassion for the king. He says, king, I wish this wasn't about you. I wish this were about your enemies. I wish this hardship you're about to go through would fall on someone different, not on you. It's gonna be hard. But Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, "Uh, you're the tree. You've been given this glory. You've been given this kingdom, this power. But it's gonna be taken from you, the most high, God is going to take it from you. You're going to be cut down, and for a period of time, you're going to live like a cow until you learn a lesson. What's the lesson? Verse 25, look at it with me. Uh, Middle of verse 25, you will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. Same thing as verse 17. He has the dream, and what's the purpose of it? That you would learn this lesson, that the most high rules. And in the interpretation, king, this is going to happen until you learn the lesson that the most high rules. From here, we fast forward a year. It's a year from Daniel's conversation with Nebuchadnezzar to verse 28, where Nebuchadnezzar is strolling across the rooftop of his palace, surveying his vast and beautiful kingdom, and he In all of his arrogance, he says, Is this not Babylon the great that I've made for my glory and by my power? And as the prideful, arrogant, ignorant words are fumbling out of his mouth, the watcher comes. The voice from on high speaks. What he dreamed, what had been interpreted, is implemented. The tree is cut down, so to speak, He's cast out. He goes out and lives and eats like a cow for seven periods of time. He becomes more like an animal than like a man until what happens? Look at verse 32 with me. The watcher, the holy one, the voice says, you're going to live this way until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. That line is repeated three different times in chapter four. The dream, in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar hears the line. In the interpretation from Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar hears the line. From the voice of the Most High, Nebuchadnezzar hears the same line. It's as if chapter four is communicating something to us. It has a message it wants us to learn as well. In Daniel chapter two, we learned a lesson about God's revelation, In Daniel chapter 3, we learned a lesson about God's rescue. In Daniel chapter 4, we learned the lesson of God's rule. The most high is the ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This whole story is about Nebuchadnezzar learning this lesson. And in learning this lesson, we see a heart, a life, a man transformed. So it raises two questions for you and I that we have to answer as we try to make sense of Daniel chapter 4. Two questions. The first question is, what does God want me to know about his rule? And the second question is, how does God want me to respond to his rule? So let's deal with this first question. What does God want me to know about his rule? What is the reign, the rule of God like? If I call him the king of all creation, of all eternity, what am I saying about him? Here's what we learn from this one line repeated three times in Daniel 4. He's the most high, the ruler over all the kingdoms of earth. We learn, first of all, that his rule is exclusive. We learn that his rule is exclusive. Again, that line tells us this. It says, the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. The Most High. There's one position for one to be called the Most High. The Most High is not a title shared with others. The Most High belongs to one, and that one is Yahweh. It is God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has a Most High. Who is Nebuchadnezzar's Most High? Well, you might say, well, he's, you know, he worships his own God, and there in Babylon he has a temple to his God, but I'm going to tell you, that his, his deity is not his most high. And Yahweh is definitely not Nebuchadnezzar's most high. We get a glimpse of Nebuchadnezzar's most high in verse 30 when he looks out across his kingdom and he says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? Who's Nebuchadnezzar's most high? Nebuchadnezzar is. And Why wouldn't it be? Imagine you could have stood on the rooftop of his palace with him and seen what he saw. Let me show you a picture of what uh, one artist uh, assumes that Nebuchadnezzar's uh, Babylon might have been like. Uh, This is just a picture of a portion of the city. And the large structure, the large square structure right in the middle, that would be the palace Of the king. That's his house. It is huge. It dwarfs every other building in the capital city. There's nothing that compares to Nebuchadnezzar's palace. It's not just grand in its size, it's grand in its opulence. It would have had artwork, architecture, gold, all kinds of accents that would say, This place is otherworldly. The one who lives here is otherworldly as well. Just, to the, uh, just up and to the left a little bit, right sort of in the middle where those roads cross, you would see the Ishtar Gate. It's long since been demolished, but there are recreations of it in museums around the world. It was the ceremonial entrance to the city. A long promenade before and after as you come into the city uh, where uh, royal parades happened and victory parades happened. And the Ishtar Gate, was, it was a work of art more than a work of function. It said something, again, about the glory and the majesty of Babylon's kingdom. Uh, If you look in the upper right corner, maybe you can see a little triangle-shaped building. That's a ziggurat. It's a temple to Nebuchadnezzar's God, whose name was Marduk. And trophies from the temple in Jerusalem were brought to this city and placed in that triangle building to show off, look how great we are, look how great our God with a little g is, that we have conquered the God of the Israelites. So Nebuchadnezzar walking on the rooftop of his palace can see the gate, he can see the city, he can see the temple, uh, he can see uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, this terraced series of gardens that people living in the desert didn't see every day. The Euphrates River cuts the city down the middle, north to south. And around the whole city, every border of the city is a giant wall, big enough for chariots to roll across the top of. And then around that city wall was dug a moat, and that moat was filled with water from the Euphrates that surrounded the whole city. It was almost impenetrable. And Nebuchadnezzar looks out there and says, isn't this Babylon the Great that I've built by my power for my majestic glory? But Nebuchadnezzar has to learn that no matter how impressive his accomplishments are, he is not the most high. No matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you've done, no matter what accolades have come your way, no matter what the kingdom of men say about you, you are not the most high. There is one and it is not us. Do you know how I know that you and I are not the most high? Because we have a funeral in our future. Every single one of us has this in common. There will be a funeral for us one day. Our lives are short and finite and fragile. And yet we live as if we are the most high. When we put our needs, our wants, our flesh before everything else. Cody has to learn that lesson. So do you. God is God alone. He doesn't share his throne with us. His is an exclusive reign what else does this line from verse 17 25 32 tell us about god's reign tells us that his rule is authoritative the most high is the ruler over human kingdoms nebuchadnezzar is ruler over one kingdom but even that rule is a temporary assignment he's like an under ruler to the great ruler God is the ruler over Babylon and every other human kingdom. There's no earthly kingdom that exists beyond the rule and justice of God. And so if God is the authority, what that means for Nebuchadnezzar is that he has to submit himself and his kingdom to the rule of God. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have the right to establish laws and put things into place or to do, take action that defies the expressed will of God. And that means the same for us as well. We have to submit ourselves and our tiny kingdoms to the authoritative rule of god in doing so we're not submitting ourselves to a mindless dictator but to a compassionate heavenly father who says this is the way of life these are the boundaries to keep you from destruction this is the way of abundant and eternal life i want you to live within my authority that you would be blessed forever and ever There's something terribly sad about the scene where Nebuchadnezzar stands on his roof and surveys his kingdom. He looks at it and he thinks, I've done it. I've climbed the mountain. I've achieved greatness. All the glory and power possible has come to me by my effort. But what do we learn at the end of chapter four when everything is restored back to Nebuchadnezzar? He is given greater glory and greater respect and greater wisdom than he ever had before. Doesn't that tell us that you and I so often settle for counterfeit contentment? We look at the little mud pies we've made with our hands and say, look how delicious, because I made it. This is what I have done. and This will nourish me and bring me such joy. And we live with a counterfeit joy. And there's so much more waiting for us if we would submit ourselves to the authoritative rule of God. His rule is exclusive. It's authoritative. Third, his rule is sovereign. The Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them is the way verse 17 says it. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't hold his throne because he has some divine right to it. He's there by God's choice. God gives thrones to anyone he wants. He sets the lowliest of people over them. So Nebuchadnezzar isn't there because he is great and he's better than everyone else. If anything, being a leader of government may be evidence that you are the lowliest of people, not the greatest of people. That seems to hold true through every generation and every kingdom of man. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't have a divine right to his position but there's a God that he's ignored, that he has not acknowledged. When God has revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar, and with greater revelation has come greater rebellion. That God is the one who, in his sovereignty, has said, I'm going to take this low man, I'm going to put him in this throne for my purposes. So far, we've got this picture of the rule of God. He's exclusive, authoritative, sovereign. A deeper study of those characteristics would show us the grace, the, the compassion, the love, the mercy in all of those things. But still, there's something about it that feels a little, you know, Oz the Great and powerful to this scene. That here's this God who, he's, he's bigger, he's greater, he's scarier than Nebuchadnezzar. Not the case, because there's one more lesson we learned about the rule of God in this story. It's that God's rule is gracious. It's grace Filled through and through. Do not miss this point. God gives Nebuchadnezzar the dream, and He gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation, and He gives it the fulfillment, all to teach this hard hearted man how to love God. It is God's grace that Nebuchadnezzar became like a cow and learned the lesson of God's rule. Now, it may be a severe grace, but it is grace nevertheless. And so you might think, well, why did God go to all this trouble? Why the whole charade of a dream, interpretation, and then seven periods of time living in the field, becoming more like an animal than a man? Why why not just show up and be like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, it's me, God. Let's cut all this out and let's just, hey, come on, let's get straight now. Why didn't he do that? Well, he did. In chapter 1, God shows himself to Nebuchadnezzar uh, through four young exiled boys who have wisdom ten times greater than anyone else that are around. In chapter 2, God reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar by giving him this terrifying dream and then giving to Daniel the contents of the dream and the interpretation of the dream. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar heard the voice of God through Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sees with his own eyes the fourth man in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar has heard the voice of God. He has seen the works of God, and yet he does not believe. And God knows exactly how to chop that tree down. He knows what's going to be needed for that man To understand who God is and who he is not. Sometimes our personal disasters are where we hear the voice of God the clearest. Anyone want to testify this morning? That I hit my rock bottom. And that's where I heard God clearly and not for the first time he had been calling me the whole time but the greater the revelation the greater my rebellion until i came to the end of myself and i turned my heart to god luke 15 tells us a similar story about a young man who lived a beastly life for a time there's a young son you remember this story he goes to his father says i want my inheritance early and then he took that money to a far off land where he squandered it in riotous living He comes to the end of his money, the end of his resources. He has nothing to his name, and he finds himself living like a pig and eating like a pig out of a pig trough next to pigs. It's there that his sanity returned to him, and he lifted his eyes from the pig slop, and he remembered, I have a father, and I'm going to go home. That's what we see happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder if that's the direction God's bringing you on this morning. That you have been living a beastly life. Now, it may come dressed very nice in Sunday clothes. That beastly life might answer, I'm doing fine when someone says how you're doing. That beastly life may still get accolades and and praise from people around you. But you know the depths of your brokenness. Addictions and sin and infidelity and brokenness of every kind dwells in the dark and eats our souls. And sometimes we find that that experience of pain and desperation is the gift of God to bring us to our senses to hear his voice finally. Rock bottom can be the most sacred of places where our hearts change towards God. So that leads us to our second question. If this is what the rule of God is like, it's exclusive, it's authoritative, it's sovereign, it's gracious, then how should I respond to this? And Nebuchadnezzar gives us a very simple answer. How does God want me to respond to his rule? Nebuchadnezzar would tell us this, hey, humble yourself and exalt God as the king of your life. Look at what the king says in verse 34. I love the structure of the passage. Your Bible might have some headings in chapter four that give it a structure that makes it a little easier to understand. Chapter four is bookended. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar speaking in first person. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise the Most High. Uh, It starts with his words of praise as the aftermath of what he learns through the rest of chapter 4. So the beginning of chapter 4, that's the headline of praise, Nebuchadnezzar's words of praise. Then he tells the story or the story is told about him. And then at the end, it comes back to first person. He starts with praising God. He ends with praising God. And he says, here's what I learned. So verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar says, At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Then verse 35, we've got this praise song written by the king, and it's amazing. Here's the big question we've got to wrestle with. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4? What's going on in him in this whole scene? My belief, it's a point of discussion for after perhaps, my belief though is that Nebuchadnezzar was, using language we're familiar with, Nebuchadnezzar was saved. Nebuchadnezzar was converted. He went from being a non-believer to a believer. Not just a man whose morality was changed. He went from outside the covenant to inside the covenant. That when you look at the words he speaks, the way he opens chapter four and the way he closes chapter four, if you were to take those words and put them in the mouth of any other Bible speaker, you would not be surprised at all to find those words in the book of Psalms, let's say. Or to have those words of praise spoken somewhere in the book of Judges where God's people are delivered from an enemy. Wouldn't be surprised one bit. But the fact that it's got Nebuchadnezzar as the author gives us a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Because... Don't we want Nebuchadnezzar to get French fried? Don't, I mean He leads the army that sacks Jerusalem and destroys Judea and rips families apart and sends people across the desert in exile. He's a murderer. He is a pig. He is a horrible human being. And so there's something in us when we read this story, we would say, it would be great to see Nebuchadnezzar in the furnace with no one to rescue him, for him to face the fiery judgment of God. Why is it any more scandalous that Nebuchadnezzar could be saved than you? Grace is always scandalous. And there's probably hope for someone this morning to know that someone like Nebuchadnezzar can be rescued by a God of grace. Grace. Because you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, I, I'm more like an animal than a human. The choices I've made, the way I'm living, the doubts I have, the skepticism I live with, I don't even know who I am. And if God can save Nebuchadnezzar, he can save you. And some of you have been praying for people for years and years and years. And let your hope be renewed in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who goes from a tree meant to do great things, to living like a cow, to becoming a child of God. There's hope for the people that we love and we pray for and we share the gospel with. It's absolutely astonishing that God saves sinners like us. Did you know that chapter 4 is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story? He doesn't show up again in the rest of the book of Daniel. Chapter 5, his name gets mentioned in retrospect a couple of times. He's dead. And Daniel references Nebuchadnezzar a couple of times. But this is the end of his story. Why? Why does Nebuchadnezzar's story end at chapter 4? My guess. Just a guess. Feel free to throw it in the trash. I think here in chapter 4, we see the apex of what his life was intended for by God. He was not meant for palaces and gold and glory and statues and armies. He was meant to know the Most High. And he went into Jerusalem and ransacked that city for his own glory And ends up bringing back the good news. He ends up paving the way for his own conversion. One writer on this passage said this. He said, Daniel chapter 4, this is Nebuchadnezzar's gospel tract. He is testifying. He's telling his story to the reader so that you would learn the lesson he's learned. And he's learned it in the hard way. He doesn't want you to learn it in the same way, though. He wants you to read from his mistakes, and he wants you to join him in his song, that God alone is the most high. His dominion is everlasting, his kingdom from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar wants you to humble yourself and exalt God as the king of your life. So what's God's rule like? Daniel chapter four makes it very clear to us. In that one line that's repeated three different times, his reign is exclusive, it's authoritative, it's sovereign, it's grace-filled. How astounding is it that God uses all of his might, all of his authority, all of his sovereignty in order to work grace for us? So what should you do? You should humble yourself and make him your king. That's the lesson we learned from the king who was a tree, who was made like a cow in order that he might be made a son. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this familiar story. He says, This the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it grows, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Nebuchadnezzar was a failed tree, but the kingdom of God, it is like a tiny mustard seed. It has small origins, uh, origins as small as a manger in Bethlehem. And that seed grows into a huge tree that gives life, a tree fed by waters of life, a tree whose fruit, takes away the curse of nations and the curse of people, a tree that unites us with God once and for all, for everlasting. And so you don't have to live like a beast anymore because God the Son became a man and he died and rose again and he sits at the right hand of God the Father where he reigns forever and ever. He is the only God and he has all authority and he is the sovereign one and he has laid down his life for you In the ultimate act of grace and mercy. He's made the way for you to eat from the tree of life. To remove the curse. For you to dwell with him forever and ever. So that you, like Nebuchadnezzar, could tell every people, every nation, every language. Let me tell you about the miracles and wonders of the Most High that he's done for me. How great are his miracles. And how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is. Is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Let that be your story. Let's pray together. So, Father, we praise your holy name. How great are your miracles. How mighty are your wonders. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Your dominion is from generation to generation. Lord, let that be someone's story today that though they've walked through the pit, they've lived in the valley of the shadow of death, they would say, this too has been a path of righteousness for me. And let me tell you the miracle God has done. I trusted in Christ and he rescued me. I laid down my tiny kingdom. I've taken up blessing and joy and goodness and forgiveness like I've never known before. Lord, would you bring new life this morning to the one that just came stumbling in here with no expectation, but you knew, you you paved the way you set this day for them. Lord God, soften their heart. But if it takes seven periods of time in hardship for them to learn the lesson, Lord, give them the grace of those seven periods of time versus an eternity in judgment. That they would be rescued from their sin. And they would have a testimony like this to tell others. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. It is scandalous through and through. We do not deserve it. We have not earned it, but you have been so good, and we praise you for this. So, Lord, this morning, as we learn about your rule, and as we learn from Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, let us be these kinds of people who join in his song and testify to the nations of your might, your glory, that lasts forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray.